Hello everyone and welcome back for the sixth and last episode that I am doing with Jordan in this mini-series about Queer Man, PNP, and Crystal Met. Welcome back, Jordan, for our last episode. I refuse to believe this is the end. We will keep going on and on and on. I'm not good at goodbyes. <laughs> Uh, hi, everybody. Thanks for having me be back for the sixth episode. We made it. Yeah, it went by really fast, actually. Yep. It feels like we just recorded the first episode like last week. It, yeah. And we just published it two days ago as well. True. <laughs> <laughs> so tonight, Jordan, for our last night talking about PNP and Queer Man and Crystal Matt, I thought it was actually the most important to bring it back to gay men and Crystal Met. I think we made like a few detours when we talked about abstinence and about the 12-step programs, but I want to finish strong and I want to finish in the most human way possible, talking about the people who use in our communities and how we can reduce stigma, create more links between people who use and people who don't use, and how we can just treat gay men who use drugs as humans and offer them support while respecting our own boundaries, of course. At the at the heart of it, I think, I'll speak for myself, I won't speak for you, but I, I have a, a hunch that you feel the same way that I do, is that we got into the work that we do because we care about gay men who use crystal meth and we want better for them. Not just like, we don't, we don't want them to do better, but we just want better options for them and we want to support them in ways that are, are meaningful to them. And I know for me, it's a personal journey that I'm also kind of caught up in, right? So, yeah, I'm glad we're going to talk about guys who PMP. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad. I want to start us tonight with a quote that I heard at an event on gay men in PNP that we were attending together a couple of days ago. Somebody said the phrase, if we only look at substance use from the perspective of how much harm it does, you're going to miss a big part of the story. What comes to your mind when you hear me say that? There's a lot. Um, I think what immediately jumps to mind is that, you know, when you fixate on the harm, you miss you miss the humanity in that person. You start to see them as the problem, and a problem needing to be solved. People are not problems. Gay men who use drugs are not problems needing to be solved. They're whole human beings. I hate to get corny and cliched here, but like we have hopes, we have dreams, we have successes, we have failures. We are people, right? Like we're just ordinary people. And I think when we just fixate on the harm, it's easy to believe that all people who, who use crystal meth, all gay men who use crystal meth have a problem with it, which is not actually factual. And we, we treat people differently. We start to treat them like less than human, as less than deserving. People use drugs because they feel good. It does something good for them. It's a medicine for them, for whatever's going on in their lives. I've been through three rehabs in my life I have been through many different treatment programs, many different 12-step groups, and, and throughout, I was left feeling like I was defective and deficient and that I was my problem, that there was no other cause for my problem but me, that somehow my drug use was a sign of weakness, that I needed to be better, that I needed to be different. And that's no different than the messaging I got as a young gay man growing up about my queerness. And it was destructive. It's a destructive message for me. When we focus on the harms, we miss the beauty in the person. And I think that's a real shame. Yeah. One of the things that comes to mind is how often I've seen guys online who are like, absolutely no meth heads, no tweakers. I don't want this. I don't want that. 
You can say you have a boundary where you don't want to use that doesn't involve putting somebody else down or making assumptions about them and their worth. I, you know, I'm very thankful that I'm at a point in my life where I'm able to interact with people like that and not take on that energy. But I know at one time in my life, it was incredibly hurtful. And I believed what those people told me, that I was a worthless like method and that like my life was going to go to shit. And it's not, it's not a very nice thing to do. So that's maybe the first piece of advice to gay men. Right. Tip number one, Tip like, number one. don't be a dick about it. <laughs> like you're yeah. able to be kind. And, you know, I'm on dating apps. I'm online sometimes and I get offered. Obviously, if you exist as a gay man in Toronto, you have been offered PNP and Crystal Met. And um, nothing bad has ever happened to me just being like, hey, that's not my thing. Have a good night. Like nobody like harassed me after. I mean, most of the time people did not talk to me. <laughs> yes. yeah, that's, that's, that's it's fine because we're not in the same, we're not doing the same thing. We're not looking for the same thing. Uh, it costs me nothing, especially if I've engaged with someone previously, like you don't have to reply to every single message that you receive online. But if it's someone that I've engaged and I realize they're looking for PNP and I'm not, then I can just politely decline. I have tried to act with more and more kindness online. It's one of those things where I've realized there's a, a gap in my life in terms of how I interact with people. But being somebody who is a crystal meth user who also feels like they're a face of the issue in the community, I kind of realize I have a bit of an accountability to like go about and be nicer about it and be kind to people. So mm -hmm. when people come at me with the hateful stuff, I don't reply sassily anymore. I don't give them the one, one, two. I engage with them as best I can and recognize that that's coming from their own place. And if I feel, feel there's a dialogue to be had, I'll dialogue with them. And I've had a couple of good experiences, which has been nice. But Sometimes I also have to like realize like this person is not interested in hearing about another perspective. They're just here to like feel good about themselves by hurting me. Right. And I know that the gay men who PMP in my life have really struggled with that sort of demonization by other gay men that were really frowned upon. And the hypocrisy often is like, well, they do coke every weekend, but I do Tina once a month and somehow I'm like this horrible person. Mm -hmm. And then you break it down even further to within the stigma within the PMP community against injection drug use as compared to smoking. You realize that everybody's kind of for lack of a better term, shitting on somebody else below them. It's all traveling downstream. It's hard to sometimes have an understanding of where that judgment comes from and also accepting it because I know that it comes from a wounded place. Like I know that people who judge other people so critically don't feel good about themselves, but it's also hard to like, just be like, that's okay. Or they're just scared, right? I think it's easy. And so full confession, I have done my work for several years. I know a lot about crystal matt mm -hmm. i still sometimes have a knee-jerk reaction of when somebody disclosed that they use crystal matt i have that knee-jerk reaction of like oh this is going to be a complicated conversation now mm. and it's not always like i'm able to <laughs> you know there's this thing in life that you're not responsible for your first thought but you're responsible for your second one so i'm able to put it away quite quickly mm. so i understand why there's stigma if somebody like me who's been doing this work for so long still have some of that stigma ingrained really deeply into my head. Well, I think it goes back to everything we were talking about in the podcast up until this point, right? Like when we live in this culture that's anti-drug and you live in the gay community where we're particularly focused on crystal meth and like the negative effects of it. And we've been told a story about crystal meth in our community for years now. <laughs> it's not hard to believe where that knee-jerk reaction comes from. Mm -hmm. And the same knee-jerk reaction you have I have too. Like, and I'm somebody who uses crystal meth and I judge crystal meth users very harshly sometimes. 
there's this thing in the community, I, I, my community, I find where it's like, we're very judgmental of the messy meth users, the ones who like can't keep it together because they're making the rest of us look bad, which is like ridiculous, if you ask me. <laughs> but the stigma that I have embodied and taken on to myself is crazy. It's well dealing with it, right? So it's good that you recognize it. And I know that you're talking about me when you say difficult conversations with people <laughs> use meth because I'm very hard to talk to. But I really appreciate you being honest about that. And like to give ourselves some slack, I think, and to be honest again, for some people, not all crystal meth user, but for the crystal meth users for whom crystal meth gets complicated, it does get very complicated. It's like a level of complicated that maybe not every other drug can bring. But that doesn't mean that it's always complicated and bad mm. and sad. No, not every day is a waking up into like sorrow and despair and like... You know, there's no food in the cupboard. Sometimes it's just normal, right? Like I go to work like everybody else. And I, I mean, I'm the first person to admit, I sometimes have a very complicated relationship with crystal meth. It's not always been under control. Do I think I'm doing better than I have been with it? Yeah. But I mean, I, it's, it's complex. Mm -hmm. But I still go to work on the days when it's hard and the days when it's tough. I still go to work. I still do my thing. And some days I have just regular days like everybody else. I have had to learn that the more I fixate on the problematic aspect of my substance use, in fact, the worse it can get for me, because I start to just zero in on this one aspect of my life. And I miss out, I miss out on the complexity that is me, right? Yeah, I've learned through self stigma, that I discount a lot of the good stuff I do because I use drugs. That's a shitty place to be. Yeah, totally. So moving on to like, I did not number my tips before. <laughs> so we're just going to number them as we go. Number two, but like <laughs> tip number two that we're at right now, I think we need to create more space when people can talk about their use early on without an alarming knee-jerk reaction. And that's something that I knew. But again, this event that we were at two days ago opened my eyes to it so much more, where everyone, people who are still using, people who just started using, people who are, have problematic use, people who are really great at doing harm reduction and people who are now sober in abstinence, regardless where people are in their journey with crystal meth, across the board, everybody has said, if I would have had a safe space to talk about it early on in my use, I would have avoided myself so much problem. And something I heard you say, so I'm quoting now, Jordan Bungor, <laughs> you've heard it here first. You said, when I receive stigma and judgment when I use, I did not learn how to not use. I learned how to use in secret. And that's, I think, a universal, I don't want to say universal because nothing is, but a very common thing that people have. They learn to use in secret. And then anything that you would do in secret will obviously cause more harm rapidly. And then you have nobody to talk about it. And it's just that vicious cycle. It's, it's very vicious. That quote came from a place where I was, I was thinking about my parents, actually. Um, one of the things I've been very fond of looking at lately in my own life and something I firmly believe is that we need to create conditions for people to be honest about things. And often we don't. When we say, be honest with us, tell us about what's going on with you. And you tell them, I use crystal meth and then people judge you, they reject you. They are like, oh my God, that's disgusting. Or, oh my God, how can you even have your own teeth left? Or you're so stupid for using, or how could you do this to your family? When we do that kind of drama, which I think is a lot of really like not useful drama, <laughs> and it's more about the other people than it is about the person who's using drugs. But 
when we create those conditions where people learn that they'll be punished or shamed or that there's a loss that they're going to encounter if they're honest about what they're doing. And that thing is a very powerful thing. Like crystal meth use can be a really big coping strategy for people. I'm not going to give up my coping strategy. I'm going to learn how to hide it. I'm not going to be honest about it because I don't want to be punished. I don't want to lose my friends and loved ones respect or my job. And I've come close to losing my job a few times in the past. So I know a thing or two about that, but I can't even tell you like when I, I was sharing that in my video like that was a hard thing to talk about because I think I alluded to it, but like my family doesn't know that I still use drugs. Mm -hmm. And that is how deeply rooted for me shame has got me. It's like I am out in public talking about this, but I will not talk about it with the people closest to me because I'm afraid, right? I'm very afraid that I'm going to lose their love and support. And history has borne that out. It's a few times in my life I have lost some love and support. So we don't want to do that to people. We need a safe place to talk about it. And we have to just like, let it not always be about like, okay, we're going to give them a safe place to talk about it and then tell them they have to change. We're just going to give them a safe place to talk about it. People have to go on their own journeys with this, I think. I think more concretely, if people are listening to us and they're like, okay, but what do I say if somebody disclose? I'm not sure I'm perfect all the time, but this is what I do, right? When somebody tells me about their use, I just, I don't freak out. And I just become curious in a non-judgmental way about their use. And I want to make a safety check with them to make sure of where they're at. I inquire about their sleep pattern. Have they had food? Are they drinking enough water? And then I'm, I'm asking them, like, what kind of support would you like? Do you just want to talk about it? One tip that I give a lot is to, like, listening with empathy is greater than offering solution to a person. The person that is in front of you is maybe not ready to change or does not want. They just want a safe space to be able to talk about it. And sometimes talking about it, they process stuff in a way that you don't even understand. So that's really easy to do. And um, one of the last thing I would say, if you want to talk about crystal met with a gay man who's using, if you ask a question, be ready to hear the answer. And the answer might not be what you want and it might be pushing against some of the thing that you're comfortable but don't ask questions if you're not ready to hear the answer that's an excellent tip so for friends and family and people who like are talking to their loved ones and, and you maybe want to get to that point where you're asking questions to understand better what's going on for your loved one the first thing i would say to somebody is you know depending on the relationship i would reaffirm that that relationship does not change that their my respect or my affection for them doesn't change and i appreciate the candor and the trust they put in me to tell me that because what you want them to know is that how hard it was for them to talk to you about that just even to say the words i use crystal meth or ipmp very challenging for a lot of folks so mm -hmm. honor that ask permission to ask questions it's the only thing i would True. add to that it's like is it okay that we talk about this right and also to not jump the gun and assume it's a problem right out of the gate. Like you say, curious and inquisitive. And also context. This is a thing I've noticed is like I was at the dentist once and I was disclosing the fact that I used crystal meth because I wanted to make sure my teeth weren't damaged. And the woman who was giving me dental hygiene services was like, that's very bad for you, don't you know? You should probably seek help for that. And I thought to myself, I'm like, this is not the context in which to have this conversation now. I appreciate the concern, but this is not the right time or the right place. So think about the relationship you have and the context before you start going in there and doing the social work thing, dental hygienist. 
I'm just worried for your health, Jordan. Maybe you've never realized that crystal meth is not good for your health. Maybe I'm the first person to tell you. <laughs> really? Because I was just asking a question about crystal meth and my health, but I didn't realize it was affecting my health. Thank you. <laughs> It's one of those things where people think they're going to perform that miracle moment of intervention that's going to change. It doesn't happen, people. It doesn't happen. <laughs> But like by being there and affirming the relationship and being curious, and I've come to you a number of times in the work that I do to learn how to talk and ask questions because I see you as somebody who really does a great job at that. So take his tips. They are pro tips. <laughs> They work. And my tips are more clinical because I'm in contact with more crystal meth in my clinical and professional side of life in my personal life so yeah if somebody disclosed that to me in my personal life i tend to jump right away to like oh how did it affect your sleep <laughs> like are you are you okay do you need a safe space right now i don't think it's perceived because i'm not jumping into like solutions yeah. on how to stop right i'm just sort of like checking what's happening I think there's a really good balance between like, like I like your approach and I think that I just want to add into that, that balance so that people think about like, if you're somebody like mother, really reaffirm the fact that people are risking a lot by telling somebody close to them. But we encourage people who are still using to have a close, trusted friend that they can talk to about their use without fear of judgment. That's like a safety thing. Mm -hmm. If you're worried about somebody's safety, then be that empathetic listener, that curious listener who's asking those important questions that you ask, because that's going to keep them safer more than like throwing them into detox or like rehab necessarily, especially if they're not prepared to stop. Yeah. Be that person that they can always call and like they can trust. That's an important role that you're playing there. Just want people to think about that. I also want to say like, if you're someone listening to this and you're someone who's using crystal meth, even if you don't think your use is problematic, I really encourage you to go ahead and talk and tell someone, tell your friends, tell your doctor, tell people who, someone, at least one person that you can talk to that feels safe and that you can have conversations about it. It might really help you in the long run. And if you really don't want to talk to anyone about it, I think like slow down and ask yourself the question, why is that? And I would be curious to what the response is. And maybe that would influence your decision to realize like maybe my barriers to talk to someone are a good reason why I should actually find someone to talk about it. I could say from experience that not talking about it has caused me an infinite amount of problems. And there's also spaces out there that are being created right now to make it possible that if you don't have that one person, Like there's places you can go to talk about it. I mean, I know that the group's running at the AIDS Committee of Toronto tonight is a virtual drop-in for guys who PMP that they can be anonymous and, and just go on a Zoom room and be with other guys who use, mm -hmm. but in a supportive environment where we're not talking about hooking up with each other, but we're talking about like getting facts about drugs that we're using, like access a space like that, anything, right? We really don't want to see people isolated and alone because that's when people get hurt. And... I'm, I support that group, obviously, <laughs> wholeheartedly, but I think there's an issue in the fact that often people who use meth are only capable of talking about it with other people who use meth, mm. and that's further isolating. I think it's healthy for people who use meth to be able to talk about it together, but I think it's also healthy for people who use meth to be able to talk about it with people who don't. And if you are a person who's not using and one of your friend disclose, be aware of how important that can be for this person's health and mental health and support for you to listen with empathy instead of jumping into solutions for harm reductions or abstinence. 
That's a really good point, Vassal, and thank you for bringing that up. I, I sometimes forget because I live in that insular world where we're only talking to each other. I also forget that sometimes, like I'm speaking from a role where it's like I provide, I help provide services or I help provide support for guys who PMP, even though I'm part of that community. So I think, oh yeah, I'm an objective outside partial observer, but I'm like, no, you're not quite. People who are going to be supporting people who use crystal meth, I would encourage them as well to do a little bit of research from a trusted source, like to do a little bit of reading and understanding on their own time to look at their own internal biases, because we do live in a prohibition-based culture. You're going to have your own biases against people who use drugs. It's in inevitable. Vincent and I both talked about having biases or knee-jerk reactions. So do the work and investigate a little, because the stories about crystal meth that you hear from the media are not reality. You want to get some balance in there and to understand what you're, you're not up against, but what you're dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. Another tip, I think it's three, although we gave a lot. <laughs> Our tips have like five parts to them. It's like yeah. tip, tip three, point four two one, <laughs> subsection A. But let's go with tip number three. If you talk with someone who uses crystal meth, talk about the whole person. You don't only have to talk about the use and the relapse and the slips. You can talk about everything that happens between this person's use as well. I would actually encourage you to do so. The way you would talk to any other human. What? What? <laughs> I think that's actually groundbreaking. That's a groundbreaking tip. It's, it can be frustrating when people are like fixated on your use as if it's like this like thing they're watching on TV. Like, so what happened this week? Did you slip? Did you have a relapse? How much crystal meth did you use? You don't want to be playing out that drama because it feeds into that narrative that the person's already probably got. People who have problematic substance use in my limited experience, and maybe I'll speak for myself here, I got caught up in that drama for so long that I was the first thing I would say to people is, oh, I had a relapse as if the only thing that happened in my life was the drug use and then the problems with the drug use. And it's not a healthy place to be. I could talk to you about my drug use this week, but I could also talk to you about the fact that we had a successful video launch and being on the podcast tonight. I had a great presentation this morning. I felt good. I ate a healthy breakfast. Like I do a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. And like, it's important to realize that. So good reminder. And if we have a healthy relationship, you want to be at a place where you're able to talk to me about all of those things. And maybe there's no reason for you to talk to me about your use this weekend because it was just like a regular use and you did your thing and that went well. But if you have had a bad experience or something traumatic happened or just, you know, I use in this person that I met or I'm not sure was not a good fit and I don't feel great about it you're able to talk to me about it and not just like accumulate that like trauma and that like yucky feeling that you stay with. Really well said. I mean, it is kind of a gross feeling to, to walk around with. I think maybe my tip goes out to guys who are still using, which kind of ties in with our last conversation. It's important for you in the, if you're using to realize that, that the S word stigma, you're going to internalize it and to like also celebrate your successes um, and celebrate the good things happening in your life. This is something I tried to make happen on Instagram, but as we know, I'm not an Instagram influencer, so it didn't go anywhere. And it was the hashtag celebrate drug users idea, but I mean what I say, which is like, we spend a lot of time celebrating, you know, people who are in recovery or people who are abstinent. We touched on this in a previous episode. We also need to celebrate people who use drugs and their achievements and accomplishments because God knows that they do accomplish things and we, we do have reasons to celebrate. I have to make a point of doing that in my own life because it's very quick to discount that. So one of the things I do is try and I recognize my successes. I recognize the things that I'm good at. And I also insert into that, that they are not lessened by the fact that I use drugs. Mm -hmm. That's such a strong narrative. Like I could even hear in my head a voicing like, oh my God, it's very impressive that 
you're able to do that being a drug user and all, you know? <laughs> it's like, well, you have your own problems as well and you go to yeah. work, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's very impressive that you're able to do that and you're a workaholic or it's very impressive that you're able to do that and you've got a shopping addiction. Like we tend to really think that drug use is so all consuming, but drug users are smart, intelligent people and we can do things. And my mom used to say this to me to make me feel better. She's like, well, if you could do all that stuff while you were high, imagine what you can do when you're not getting high. And I'm like, <laughs> how about we just celebrate the fact that I did really well at some things when I was high <laughs> and like, that's cool. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you're encouraging drug use, but it's like, just like, let's stop making that part of the narrative. Like, what I put in my body does not taint my value as a human being. It does not impact my worth or value. It, it just doesn't, folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's also this whole thing in our societies where, like, people are only valued for their labor and what they produce <laughs> and not for just existing and, you know, being around. I made a whole post about it on my Instagram. Um, yeah, you're worth more than just your work and labor. Yes, yes. You're a worthy human being, even if you do not produce any work or labor. That's a very capitalist way of looking at the world, right? It's like, I achieved these things, therefore I have value. And and that is the language, actually, of drug use. A lot of the fact that people get demonized is that they're lazy, they don't produce, they're not contributing to society. I'm like, well, society's not doing so well. So, <laughs> And it's something I've struggled with personally, is I've never felt like I've had value. So the drug use may have come from that. <laughs> But also, I've had to really work hard, and I'm still working hard at it, at like reminding myself that I am just a good person as is, as are all other people on this planet, which is my personal belief. We all have value. Yeah. Just by showing up in this existence. You know, I choose to work hard because I get a lot of value out of what I do, but it's not about proving it to people anymore. So tip number four, if you're using recognize your value and that you're an important person. Tip number five, when you interact with someone who's using Yes, you will need boundaries. It's totally okay. It's not problematic to say to someone like, when you're high, I do not want to talk on the phone with you. I do not want to come knock at my door. We can interact on the days that you're sober. It's actually also perfectly normal to say to someone who uses, look, I still really love you, but this is a lot for me. And I need to take a step back right now. And you know, come back later and I will, I'm still going to love you. I'm going to try and check in, but like, this is too much for me. It's okay for you to set boundaries. What is not okay is to do empty threats. What I mean by that is like saying things like, well, this is your last chance. It's like, if you're using again, this or this is going to happen. I know a lot of people who are dating, who are in relationship where one person uses and not the other. The person who uses is at the end of a lot of like, empty threats, and that is not helping their mental health at all. So having boundaries is okay. Mm. You know, if you're saying, hey, I love you, but if you keep using, I'm going to need to take a step back from your life. Well, if the person keeps using, do not continue to do that threat, actually apply the boundary. And yes, it's going to suck for the person who uses, mm. but you cannot just continue to do and to say those things and to constantly like apply pressure and then sort of like come back on your words and then do more threats like it's not a way to live for you or for the other person it's actually more respectful for them even though you feel like it's going to be more hurtful it's actually more respectful to place that boundary than to keep you know threatening to place that boundary it's very well said and i think if you if you don't want to get empty promises from people who use drugs don't make empty threats like yeah. <laughs> 
if you want somebody to promise you they're never going to use again, well, then, then don't make threats about them having to stop using for good. Like, that's a drama that we get caught up in a lot of the time. And and as people who use, or pe a person who uses, one thing I've had to really work at is to not make promises that I don't intend to do. I'm not going to tell people just to make them feel better about things that I'm going to stop using. And it has made some for some difficult relationship conversations and, and boundary setting. But I also know that I respect people who set boundaries with me. I also respect the fact that, that I've got some people in my life who have been willing to work very hard with me at creating mutually respectful boundaries, even though we have very different views on substance use. Like my best friend who was at the video screening, I don't know if you met her or not. And I'm going to make a shout out to Jen. I won't say her last name. Shout out to you, Jen. Um, Jen and I have been friends for years when we met in the 12-step movement. And we're still friends to this day, even though I'm an active substance user and she practices abstinence. We've had to work at it. Mm -hmm. But because there's love there and there's a mutual respect, I respect when she says, you know, your behavior is really impacting me negatively. Not you, not your drug use, but your behavior. She's learned to distinguish between my, my behaviors when I use drugs versus just the drug use itself. If my problem is I'm not showing up for her in her life or I'm not answering phone calls, that's a behavior that I can change. But if you just say your drug use is putting, making me feel unloved, well, then that's an all or nothing kind of statement to make. And I have to quit drugs in order to be your friend. But if she says, I need you to not do this one harmful thing that you're doing when you get high, well, then that's a little more manageable for me. If that mm -hmm. makes any sense at all, yeah, I can work on calling you more often. I can work on checking in. And that has shown to me that there is a level of trust that she has. And if we go back to what we're talking about, that one trusted person, that's a really great way to show people that if you are committed to the relationship, then, then don't make it all about the drug use being the problem. Think about what actually is the behavior that you'd like them to change. And maybe they'll change it and maybe they won't. But I have to say having that in my life has been really affirming for me. And it stopped this whole drama of like, your use is tearing us apart. Well, like, no, my behavior is tearing us apart. And I can change that behavior if I really value that person. I happen to value this person a lot. So shout out to Jen, who I value a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I warn people about when they're supporting a loved one is to want more than them. Wanting a goal for the person more than the person is actually wanting the goal. That's just not really how life works. And it's okay. Like if you love someone, it's always like that one often comes from like very well intended people. And, you know, if you do have someone who uses around you, I think it's not a bad idea to direct them to support or therapy, not abstinence based therapy necessarily, mm -hmm. but to have a place where they can talk about what's going on. But remember that the outcome of that therapy, for example, or the outcome of that support is not necessarily going to be abstinence. And that's okay. When I start with a new client, regardless of if they're a drug user or not, if it's their first time doing therapy, I always warn them the results you're going to get from therapy are probably not going to look and feel like the way you thought result from therapy would look and feel. It's actually different. You're going to gain different things. So it's okay to support someone and to encourage them and maybe do some of the logistic things that may be more difficult, like help them Googling therapists, help them find resources, but don't work harder than them. If people are, are looking to make changes in the first place, it's a long process to make changes. I can say I want to make a change to my substance use or my meth use, but it can be a long process before like I start to do the things on my own that actually enable that change. There can be a big a lot of back and forth. We talked about the stages of change. So if you're putting more effort in on their behalf, I mean, it's not helpful. Um, and it's also going to frustrate you and you're going to have expectations that are now that person's disappointing. Yeah. And then you're going to burn out and you're not going to want to help them anymore. 
Yeah, and then and then it's not fair, right? Because that's not their choice. You're you're the one putting on all that on yourself. You know, I I know it's a truism of life, but you can't save anybody else, really. Like you're not there to save people. You're there to get your own butt through life, and you can connect with other people and show them that you're there for them. But they have to want something for themselves, and that's the thing that is with change. And I know that's worked in my life. And when I was ready for abstinence, and I took my four years of abstinence, I was ready for it. Mm-hmm. That changed, but that's okay. And um, I put all the work in that time too. Like I did the things I needed to do and and I don't look back on that with any regret. Mm -hmm. So if we move a little bit away from tips, what changes would you like to see in our communities? Like if you had the power to make changes, what would you like to see? How would you like people to talk to each other? What kind of things would you like to come from people listening to this podcast? That's a really good question. It's one that I think about a lot. So when I think about what I would like to hear and see in the community, number one, I would love that for there to be just basic respect. That, like we talked about that at the beginning of the podcast, I don't have to agree with what you do, but I don't have to shame you for it. There is no place in any sort of healing journey for anybody where shame is going to be a great motivator and change somebody's life for the better. All we're doing is creating more of that problem that we don't want to see. Number two, I want people to be compassionate. I want people to be able to see in that other person a bit of themselves. For a lot of guys who PMP, like myself, like the same struggles that we talked about in episode two and three, right? The same life journeys that we had growing up in homophobic society, growing up with all this crap around us. They're the same struggles that most gay men have. Mm -hmm. There's a part of me that I see in you and hopefully you see the same in me. And we need to open our eyes to that instead of being like, you use drugs, you're something else entirely. I also want to see from, I mean, I was thinking about the service provision kind of thing aspect of it, which is I want there to be more spaces for guys to talk about this issue that are safe, supportive, that are not focused on changing people's behavior, but are giving them a place to like touch in, to be safe, to like learn a skill that's going to keep them safer, to have that harm reduction, like knowledge that will keep them alive, right? And keep them healthier. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I want to like see change. And hopefully... I feel like we're on the cusp of something in the community. I could be completely wrong, but I feel like we're moving towards that direction, whether we like it or not. So (laughs) that's what I'd like to see. What about you? Uh, Mine is two ways. So one of them is, (laughs) it's actually another quote from the event that we were at on Tuesday, but I think if there's one thing that if you don't use, but you're part of the community that you can learn, (laughs) somebody said, You know, people who use drugs daily, they have enough going on in their life. You don't need to be a jerk on top of it. (laughs) (laughs) It is realistic to think that somebody who uses drugs daily has a lot going on in their life and they would benefit from some support and some love. But don't be a jerk on top of it. Like, that's not necessary. Be kind, be empathetic, be somewhere they can talk to or... If you really can't offer any of that, at least place a gentle, kind boundary and don't play hot and cold or don't try to save them or don't add anything on top of it. So that's one thing. And then my biggest wish for the gay communities, and that's really from the part of me that works in recovery and works with so many people who are trying to stay abstinent or who are succeeding at being abstinent. I want our communities to create more sober spaces. There are none. And just because your use is not problematic doesn't mean that it's like a huge barrier for other people to access those spaces. And not every gay man 
who is sober is sober because they have problems. Some people don't like it. Some people have medical conditions. Some people it's cultural. And I don't know, if you listen to me and you're one of the organizers for like the Gay Dodgeball League or the Gay Hockey League or any of these places, I think it would be so simple when you all go to like Woody's after the dodgeball evening to be like, hey, everyone, by the way, this is the table where people who want to be sober can go and hang out for the night. And that way they can just connect with each other. It doesn't have to be weird. Don't go at that table and be like, so why are you sober? Right? Maybe I'm sober tonight because I have an exam tomorrow. Or maybe I'm sober tonight because I've struggled with substance use for 15 years and now I don't want to use anymore. And both of these reasons are valid. Just creating one space where I could connect as a sober person with other people who play dodgeball who prefer to be sober would be so powerful. But because the way it's divided now, people who are sober are just like randomly put in teams and they never get to connect to each other because they go to the bar after, they don't drink. And then once people have like two beers inside their body, they're no longer interested at staying at that bar because it's really unpleasant to be sober around drunk people. Oh, yeah, it, it, it is very much so. The normalization of certain types of drugs in our, our culture, too, has made it like that all of gay life does center around bars or like places where people go to drink. And like, critically, if you want to get capitalist about this, the only people we're supporting there are the beer companies and the alcohol companies. Like, and they're not doing much for us other than giving us like a float in the parade. So, you know, making more sober spaces is a great piece of feedback. Like there can be more sober spaces and more spaces for people who are like substance users to feel safe. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be one or the other. I like the idea of having both. I was asked a question this morning about how do you create spaces where both of those people can coexist? And I'm like, I think it's going to take time and effort, but we'll learn how to make sure that everybody feels like this is a community that supports everyone. It doesn't exclude people or judge people because they do or do not drink or they do or do not use crystal meth. But we support everybody in this community because God knows we've got each other. Straight people aren't there worrying about this stuff. We've got to look out for ourselves, you know? And in my brain, it's not weird during Pride if there's sober events and sober parties, which I think do exist at one part of the Pride. And there's also like an area for safer drug use and for people who are crashing and for people to come down from their drugs. Like to me, that's not. they're not in a position they're actually both as equally important for the health of our communities and pride should be about the health of our communities oh 100 percent. and can we just say for a moment can i just have a political rant here for a moment (laughs) political can it be brave yet controversial um to the businesses in our community that do not support having harm reduction spaces in those businesses, like a Sharps container or maybe a come down room. And I am thinking about venues where people go to have sex in towels. I won't name any businesses. <laughs> but I just want to, I'm going to call it out on this podcast, which is like, you were doing a disservice to this community by treating drug users as if they are like criminals and tossing them out on the street when they are in medical distress. Mm-hmm. You need to make harm reduction acceptable in those spaces because drug use is happening whether you like it or not, or whether it's good for your business or bad for your business. But drug users go there. We are as worthy of any other patron of being safe in your establishment. Don't criminalize us and don't expose us to arrest and mistreatment at the hands of our healthcare or our, our judicial system. You work in this community. You support this community. You make money off of our backs. You support us. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you're someone who use other drugs than crystal meth, you don't PNP 
and you don't consider yourself having a problematic drug use, I want you to slow down. You've listened to six episodes now, if you're still with us, and ask yourself, what could I do personally and what can I do in an advocate way for both gay men who use drugs and gay men who want to be sober? Think about one thing for each of these categories, like how can I be a better ally to sober gay men and how can I be a better ally to gay men who PNP and who use drugs and try to implement those. And it can be very simple. It can be about just like speaking up when you hear stigma around drug use. That can be your goal that you take from this podcast. Or if you are in a position of leadership, then you can maybe have more power to create more things. But really think about both of those communities and think about one thing you could do for each of these communities. That's a really beautiful thought. Jordan, this is week number six. We're kind of at the end of our journey. I'm a little bit emotional because it was actually really cool going through all of that with you. Is there something that has not been said? We were talking today about like bringing a more human side to gay men who PNP. How do you want to conclude? If you're out there and you're listening to our podcast and you are somebody who is a guy who PNPs, because I want to speak to my people. Yeah, obviously. I heard something a long time ago and it was from my friend Zoe. And I think I mentioned it previously, but she said to me, drug users' lives matter. And I just want to remind you guys that your life matters. You are not what you think, what you feel you are, or how you think you are. You, you matter. You're important. I care about you. I know this song cares about you. Just don't give up on yourself. Don't believe what other people are telling you. You're worthy. And that's all I really have to say is like, I can't say it enough. The love is what motivates me to do the work that I do. But it's because I never felt that love. And I know in our community, a lot of us are struggling right now. And I have a lot of friends who have, I've, I've, sorry. Every time I talk about this kind of stuff, I think about my friend Max. And, um, you know, my friend Max killed himself and, and in psychosis. And it feels like the world's biggest ripoff because Max was a beautiful human being. And I wish somebody could have gotten through to him in that regard, but it wasn't to be. That was not his journey. But your life matters. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. And we want you here. You're part of our community. You're part of the gay community. You are part of my community. And we, you have value and worth. And I also just want to say thank you, Vincent, for going on this journey with me. This has been, it was such an honor to be asked to participate in this. I don't think I told you that, but it's been a big honor for me because I've respected you for a long time. And I used to think that you didn't like me for some reason because I was in harm reduction. (laughs) Um, I'm glad that we got over that. But it's been a really wonderful experience getting to know you and sharing this. And uh, thank you to all the listeners for listening because I talk a lot. So thank you. Yeah, I want to say again, like, yeah, wherever you are in your use, you matter. And you deserve to have a space to talk about it and be respected and be supported I think what I want people to remember is that one size fits all solutions don't work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're easier and they feel like it's something to grab onto when you're facing someone who may be actually pretty disorganized because of their drug use. But instead of going there, slow down and tap into your empathy and try to think in the moment what you can do. And again, I've stopped counting tips. It's the last tip for this podcast. Often when I don't know what to do and I have this strong urge to help and to do something concrete, I only ask the question, what do you need right now? Like, what do you need for tonight? And that's enough. Like, the person is going to tell you, oh, 
it's okay, I just needed to get all of this off my chest. Oh, I just want to make sure that I'm resting for tonight. I don't want to go back to the bathhouse. Oh, I don't think I needed anything, but I wanted to reach out to someone. And like, that's the only question you have to ask. You don't have to think of longer term. What do you need right now? And it's probably going to be something that you can offer easily or that you've already offered by just listening and asking this question. It doesn't have to be complicated. Mm-hmm. Jordan, this is the end. <laughs> this is no, the end of no, six. I don't acknowledge it. <laughs> just not over. We're going to keep going, right? Episode seven, episode eight. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is the end. It is the end, my friend. To all my listeners, thank you for going on that journey with me. I am not sure if you've liked that format of a mini series or not. But I'm going to continue to do that (laughs) in the future with other topics. Although recording for season two has started and season two is going to look a lot more like what we're used to for season one. That should come out at the end of January or early February. I'm going to take a little break from editing after editing all of these episodes on Crystal Met. And I'm going to be right back in the new year. And... If you want to connect with me and give me feedback, you can do so on Instagram at mentalhealthmuch. And to connect with Jordan, it's at bloodandgore, G-O-R-R, on Instagram. So until season two, everyone, please keep talking about mental health as much as you can and keep safe. Keep safe.